Welcome! I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. A great program we have for you today. Joining me here is Jessica Swan, a licensed midwife since 2015. She's also a professor at Bastyr University, serving also on the Professional Board of Midwives Association of Washington State, where she serves as the vice president. She has worked at both Puget Sound Birth Center and now she works with the Snohomish midwives. Always passionate about providing evidence-based care to all birthing families and a commitment, very strong commitment to training competent and capable providers futuristically and hopefully even nurse midwives going forward. I say that because she's returning to school. She is going to go both to nursing school at University of Washington to become a certified nurse midwife with her eye on getting her doctorate. So delighted to have you here. Jessica Swan, oh my gosh, it's so good to be together virtually. It has been way too long. Absolutely years because when we interfaced, you were a student. I think actually the last time we were physically in the same space, I was your preceptor. And how many years ago was that? Yeah, I know. I was your student. You were, I mean, I went to my first birth with you. Yes. My first birth outside the hospital with you back in 2013 um, when I was a very baby student midwife. So yeah, it's been a while. Yes. Well, I'm so delighted that we have an opportunity to literally catch up and yeah. hear all about your journey and hear all about what's important to you to share. Yeah. Let's start there. Tell okay. us a little bit about your whole, how in the world did you think, I think I want to be a midwife and tell me about your journey. Yeah. Well, Let's see, it all started, it all started back in 2009 um, when I was a soft, no, I was in my junior year of undergrad at University of North Carolina, so I'm from North Carolina, at Chapel Hill. Um, my friend was in a public health program and she was having a rough time in school, just like mentally, emotionally, like what am I gonna do with my life type of thing. And she said, come to this documentary with me. I was like, I don't want to go to a documentary. She says, just come with me. And so I just went with her. I didn't even know what it was. And it was the business of being born. <laughs> and I saw that documentary and my 19-year-old or 20-year-old brain said, I'm, I'm going to do that. That is what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. And then I went off to Europe for a few months to study abroad. And I came back and I started researching um, where, how to be a midwife. And at the time... Well, still, I guess the options are you can go and be a nurse midwife or you can be a direct entry midwife. At that time, I decided I did not want to go to nursing school. So I wanted to go be a direct entry midwife. And I really wanted to get a master's degree because I already had the bachelor's degree. 
or was almost done with it. So I found that Seattle Midwifery School just in that year was merging with best year. And um, so I thought, well, that's perfect. I'm going to plan to finish up my degree and then I'm going to apply and move to Seattle and be a midwife. Woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a pretty bold move, actually. And how is it that you heard about Seattle? And did you did you compare it with other programs? I mean, what made Seattle be the the guiding light for you? Yeah, so actually, I used to wait tables, um, and I worked in an Outback Steakhouse in Durham, which is near Chapel Hill. And I was telling my, I don't know, you know, some tables they ask you this week you're young and they're always like, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm going to be a midwife. I really don't, I don't know where I'm going to go to school yet. And they said, oh my God, have you heard of Best Year? And that's, and we're in North Carolina, right? And they're telling me about this program that just started existing. So they are the, where I actually heard the first time about Best Year's program. And then I looked into it and saw that it had been Seattle Midwifery School and it was just transitioning. <laughs> wow. That's, that's awesome. It, it is amazing how the universe provides the hints or the clues and the, and sparkles that catch our attention and where we're going to go and how we're going to do it. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm nodding big and I'm realizing that no one will see that, but yes, I'm totally agreeing. <laughs> that, yeah, this whole path for me has been so universe led um, mm -hmm. and it's was easy to, it's been relatively easy because it was so right and led to me all the things that just kept opening the doors that opened the people that came into my life to even now in my new sort of path I'm taking has continued to be that like doors just opening so I just keep walking through them <laughs> I love it I love it hmm what would you say you had how many years then at the Puget Sound Birth Center it was many years wasn't it yeah it was um, so it's, uh, it's, hmm, it's a bit of a story there, but so I went, I was your student for a year and then I went to, to Peter's Humber Center to be their student. So I went from, I think we went to maybe 11 births together in that year. And then my second, or it's my third year of school with the, with Peter's Humber Center, I went to 78 births yeah. in a year or 14 months or something like that. But it was what I needed, right? It's the next step. Like I needed a nice gentle entry with you and then I needed to like become a midwife like fully so I did and pretty early on in my time at as a student Heike offered me a job and she thought that she said you have what I can't teach I'll teach you all the other stuff because you're quite green but you have what midwives need to have and I want you to work for me and I said yes I would love to do that um so I graduated in June of 2015 and then I got licensed and so I started there in October of 2015 and I was there five years uh, almost five years, um, and then just uh, got a little bit burned out about being on call and all of that stuff, um, and re insurance reimbursements rates are just kind of are pretty sad, so it just wasn't as sustainable as a career as I'd hoped it would be, um, so I actually went to work at Bastier for about a year full-time. Um, I already was teaching there, but I had a full-time staff position, um, which was good, but so boring lots of admin and just not exactly what i want to be doing and there was um just stuff within the department that it wasn't a good situation so now i'm part-time working with snohomish midwives um when they need help and then i'm gonna go to nursing school and be a nurse midwife to have yeah. a different sort of schedule <laughs> what what a complete uh cycle it's not on un they're unprecedented there's definitely 
other people that have done that pathway in that progression. Uh, I am, but not only are you going to become a nurse midwife, but you're focused on getting your doctorate. Correct. Yes. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> That's very important to me as as I continue to more school and more student loans. I want to come out of it with the doctorate. <laughs> right. And not only do you come out of it with the doctorate, but what kinds of opportunities open up to you because of having your doctorate? Yeah, so one thing, well, two main things that would set me apart the most or set this apart from a program that didn't come with a doctorate is that I'll be able to teach, um, I'll have more teaching opportunities. You can teach it best year, but I would be able to teach at um, programs that teach at the doctorate level. And I would also be able to teach in nursing schools, um, which feels really important to me. And I'll actually be more trained to do research and to implement research because you know how it takes 10 years for research to become practice and uh, people with the DNP can help implement that research faster. So that's really important to me to be able to, I mean, just make obstetrical practice better all around. And this degree will definitely help me have the, you know, the alphabet suit behind my name to give mm-hmm. me the, the, the work, the clap in people. Say, yes, you are, you are trained to do that. So we will follow you. Awesome. Yeah, we all know that the system needs more and more help. And we all, as well, all of us as practitioners have noticed the the vast um, disconnect between what we know is great for families and what is being practiced and how that disconnect is something that we really seek to change to empower the families in their birthing and not make it about an organization. And I saw that captured even in your announcement of school. You were talking about wanting to step into the hospital environment to bring more wholeness there. I, I saw that written and I greatly applaud that and admire that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, I know it'll be, you know, I talked to people, nurses and other nurse midwives even, like that's going to be like, that's big that you, that you think you might be able to do that, that you might be able to affect change. And I'm, I mean, I'm good at challenge. I'll take a challenge. Um, So, and I just, I know there'll be hospital things that I won't be able to change, but I'm not going to focus on those. I'm going to focus on the places and the people where I can impact change and where I can help people see that uh, birth is a natural physiological process. And if that's just a few hearts and minds or a couple protocols, then I'll be very happy with that. Exactly. Just like the starfish. It's going to make a difference for this one. It's going to make a difference for this other birth professional, for this family. It does make a difference. It really, really does. Well, tell me, what have you loved about being a midwife? Oh, so much. Um, I think, you know, I was at Puget Sound Birth Center long enough where I went to like 350 births in that five years. So I really came like from very entry level to a skilled, intuitive, well, like, you know, I had the whole progression. So I feel like at the end of it, I could really look back and see how I changed because I was so busy in those five years. Um, And I think when you come into birth, you always think, uh, I want to go to births and catch babies and I want to do all the rock star stuff, right? It's like so cool and, and people love that. And yes, birth is wonderful and I do enjoy that part of it. But what I really, really came to love was postpartum. 
and I love being in people's homes or going and doing the home visit. I remember being a student, I never really liked those because it was just kind of the boring stuff, the breastfeeding issues and stuff that I didn't want to deal with. But as I became more mature of a midwife, I realized that's the magic part of this. That is where we hold families through this tender time. And it can be, it's so important that they get good care. And it's so important that they're told that they're empowered and that they're told they can do it and that their babies are healthy and well, and that they are healthy, sane, rational, well people who will get through this struggle. So that's what I really came to love in my first couple of years is just being able to be there and hold people and seeing people just say, you know, I'm sure every midwife's had this situation where you say, no, this is okay. This is normal. You're doing a good job. And they just start crying because mm-hmm. they've only heard that they're not okay. Or they're only thinking in their minds that this can't be right. And then just the relief they can feel when they have a good provider talking them through it. So that's, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm sure in that amount of time, you've you've possibly and probably had a few repeat families. Is that true? Yes, many. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a couple repeats in there even, mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. um, or at least definitely if I include this time as a student. And yes. That's really special to just keep being with people through their births. <laughs> yes, yes, the, that richness of the of those bonds that occur are just so wonderful. If you want to talk to me about what I miss, and that would be it. You know, I miss having that extending upon that. I still do share a wonderful connection with families that I've been able to serve in my practice. And yet I'm not adding to that on a day-to-day basis. However, we're still about making the consciousness of what the importance of this birthing work uh, being front and center stage. And in that, in that way of really having people know the, the power that they have, the, the value that they have. And I hear, I hear for you that this is something that you feel like also needs to be strengthened. Uh-huh. And you have had the opportunity then to practice in another practice. Has that, how has that been different for you? Yeah, well, Snohomish Midwives is totally different. It's almost entirely home births. And, um, you know, down in Kirkland, we get, it's a lot of first-time parents that are older. So mid, early to late 30s, having their first baby because they've been working professionals or whatever they've been doing, which is those is wonderful. It's just a different type of birthing experience than in Snohomish County. We have a lot more young people having second, third, fourth babies. So a lot of people in their mid twenties having second, third babies. Um, so what it's looked like is a more relaxed for sure. People just have less anxiety, less fear. Um, and just everybody has a baby in like an hour. Like I don't think I've <laughs> spent time with anyone for more than a couple hours until their baby's born. At the birth center, I was really used to being with people 12, 20 hours sometimes just help working to get babies out. So right. it's just a totally different vibe. Yeah. Well, it is, number one, more rural. So yes. that, that could also play a, a difference in that. Now, I know that, well, at least I think I know to date, you have not had your own baby yet. <laughs> so no, no. tell me, tell me about how you think that could change or is that something that you see in your future tell me just a little bit about that 
Well, um, I always thought it would change. I thought uh, that Chelsea, Chelsea's my wife, and we thought we would have babies for sure. Uh, but as in the last couple of years, we've thought, I don't think we're going to have our own baby. Um, mm-hmm. I love being, so I love being a teacher. That's mm-hmm. the other thing I love about midwifery is that I've got to teach lots of midwives, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love being kind of the auntie figure. Mm-hmm. But I don't think mothering is in my path mm-hmm. um, for many reasons. So that feels okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. simply to evaluate along the way, right? Yeah. <laughs> along the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you think has been the most uh, challenging? Oof. Um, <laughs> well, I think that the most challenging aspect is the lifestyle mm-hmm. and um, it is very hard to be on call 50% of the time and to go to 50 births a year and to, you know, go when you're not on call sometimes because your partner's got to sleep and do thousands of hours of prenatal care and thousands of messages that you don't get paid for because it's additional. It's not like in the visit, right? So, and billing and all that stuff. So just to do so much work for such little reimbursement. And I don't at all blame the birth center or the people there because they're not, they're definitely not hoarding money. Um, it's it just, they're paying what they can afford to pay based on the insurance reimbursements. And I was lucky that I always got paid, right? Whereas the people, the owners might not be getting paid. So I know that I had it really, I had a good situation. But to do that much work and to give that much of yourself or myself, I can't do it for that little compensation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was hard. And then there's also no work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And what's the payoff? Like going to births mm-hmm. and being with families is so beautiful. And it's been the honor of my life. But I also have to have a sustainable uh, life. And, you know, I have to have balance in my own, like, personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you've had... Both of your opportunities have been housed in group practices. One's a great big group practice, and the other one is a smaller group practice. Which of those do you think fit for you better? Hmm. Well, I would probably say I think that the big group practice was really great when I was new because it was so busy, Mm -hmm. and I loved that, and I think that was really important. But if I were going to remain in community midwifery, I'd want to do the smaller, slower practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, now with you pursuing school and looking at the hospital setting, what have you? You already mentioned that you've been in communication with several different uh, nurse midwives. Are they practicing in different settings? Or uh, tell me about, are they all predominantly in a hospital? Or have you spoken to any that practice out of hospital? Tell me about that. Yeah, both. Um, the ones I've talked to recently are more in the hospital. I'm trying to get that perspective. Like, what's it like to be in a hospital practice? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's also all they know. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard. I don't, I don't actually... Unless maybe you have, I can't remember, but I don't really know any nurse midwives that worked in the hospital and did out-of-hospital work. Oh, I'm happy to share some names with you. I would encourage you to talk to them. Sally Avenson. Sally Avenson 
is, uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't believe she's in practice anymore. That was my idea. That's fully my intention to practice in all settings. That was my intention from the get-go. And to my understanding, I don't know how many midwives actually do be able to accomplish that. Anyhow, so it's, let's get beyond that. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to set that aside. Pretend we didn't even raise the thing. <laughs> uh, okay. When you, when you left, um, when you left the birth center, did you take a bit of a break and, t and teach? That's what, that's what I was hearing. You took just a break from being practicing midwifery and were teaching, focusing on your teaching. I was teaching and I was also doing like staff work. So I was the clinical education supervisor, which means that I was in charge of all like 30 students and that their placements and their practicum sites and their exams and making sure they were up for graduation requirements and all that stuff. Oh, great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you've worked with the uh, best year ever since you were a student there? Pretty much. I mm -hmm. you know, graduated in 2015, and then I started like TAing in 2016, and then 2017 I started uh, teaching my own classes, and I currently teach seven or six or seven classes a year. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a lot. Are you going to continue that while you're getting your um, doctorate? It depends on. Um, I just got accepted to these programs, so I have to. I'm doing some meetings with some of the students there, and I don't know what the teaching. Like I don't, I don't, I know the ABSM, the Accelerated Bachelor's of Science in Nursing is a really intense program, like mm -hmm. 60 or something hours a week. And I'm not sure about being able to get time off to actually teach in person. So I, I, there's some, I need to work that out with, well, I need to talk about it with the programs and see if it's possible, but I would be very sad to let go of all of my teaching. So mm. we'll see what that brings. Yeah, well, I'm sure that there's a, a perfect plan there for how it all fits together. <laughs> yeah. What has been the thing, as you look around and try to imagine what kind of a change, little change, you think that could be made that would make the hugest difference? What would that be? In hospital practice or just in general? Wherever you choose, my dear. Mm. Well, I'm going to have a little backstory. Is my wife is a perinatal massage therapist in Kirkland. Um, she's so she's mostly pregnant and postpartum people, and she's way more than a massage therapist. Like people come to her to see her, but also because she talks with them about informed consent and just like their care in general, and asks them lots of questions, and people leave feeling very taken care of. So she brings home stories and she is often telling me about how people that they don't know about midwives, they don't know it exists and they just go to the nearest place that their co-worker's wife had a baby at with this OB at this hospital. So they just go there and get their care and they don't look into it further. Um, and then oftentimes they just end up in these situations that I feel that they might not need to be in like being induced um, for really no good reason. Your baby's too big, your baby's too small. You know, you're, you, you've been in labor for four hours and no change, so you should do a C-section. Like all these things that, if I weren't talking with Chelsea and she wasn't telling me this, I would think that those things weren't happening anymore for some, like I live in this bubble where we are not doing that. They're not doing that stuff. 
So I think one thing that would really drastically be helpful is a PR for midwives. Like we really need to get into communities, especially communities that have been historically marginalized, especially communities that don't have uh, as much access to health information. Um, we need people to know about midwives because right there you're going, if people just start with midwifery care, we're going to decrease so many unnecessary interventions and increase good outcomes like vaginal birth and breastfeeding rate or lactation rates and all of that. So that's one. That is exactly why this program is in existence. You have hit the nail on the head. The, to raise consciousness, it has to be where people have an opportunity to hear. You can't make an informed choice if you don't know what you're choosing from. And that, was, that is the focal point of getting the conversations in the airway, right? Getting the information out. And people have a tendency to not know that it is an option until many times until after they've already had a baby and then there's got they, they come to the conclusion that there must be a better way or something along those lines it has been it has been what i have noticed happening all around to that end to that end uh, i know that you serve on your professional organization's board so tell me about your polit political activation yeah, well, um, <laughs> as a human, I like to put my hands in all the pots. Like, so since I was a new baby student midwife at Bastyr, I knew that I wanted to be involved in the professional organizations that I wanted to teach. That I thought some, you know, maybe I wanted to be the chair of the department, or I wanted to like be. I wanted to keep growing in the profession and not and not outside of the clinician role. And some of that over time has changed. I definitely wouldn't want to be a department chair. That's so much admin work. No, thank you. Um, but with the political uh, organization, or the, it, I suppose it's not political, but the Midwives Association of Washington State is the largest and oldest um, midwifery organization in Washington and one of the oldest in the country. Um, and I joined in hmm, 2017, maybe, in the board. And I've been the vice president since 2018. Hmm. Um, and Jen Segadelli is the current president. We kind of came president and vice president together because people were dropping off the board and we were kind of thrown into these roles. But it's been a really good three years. We've um, had a lot of cool things happening, including our uh, Senate bill right now that um, mm -hmm. we're just in the rules committee. We're hoping it gets pulled to the floor for a vote and it would actually expand. It would allow midwives to be have prescriptive authority and be able to write prescriptions for common infections prenatally and postpartum as well as contraception including IUDs um, so we are very excited about that bill <laughs> yes previously on our program we had Kristen Efland here oh, with yeah. that call yeah. to action for everyone yeah. to get on and let the legislatures know and that's still a push right it's still yeah. a time of seeing this through we've got you've gotten it to this stage and now got to see it through to the end so calls to the legislatures could still be helpful and is that correct absolutely yeah yes yeah yeah we need to get it out of that committee to the floor for a vote um so yes we still anybody out there who wants to be active please activate we're still needing it. <laughs> yeah, and by activate, you're talking about if you don't know who your legislature is, who, you know, some people don't necessarily know who their representatives are. Mm 
Is there a place that they can go and get assistance with this and, and maybe even some guidance on how to talk and who to call? Yeah, if you just Google um, who, like Washington legislative districts, uh, it will come up. There's a website. I can't remember the website, but just Google that mm -hmm. and it'll come up with a little map and then you can find where you live or where you work mm -hmm. um, and you'll see your legislators. Mm -hmm. And we have um, some stock emails that we're sending all the time. Um, so if people want access to those, they could email info at washingtonmidwives.org and we'd be happy to give you kind of our, you don't have to do anything really. You just fill in your information and you can send it right to your legislators. That's a great option because a lot of people, a lot of times people, it isn't that they don't want to do something, but they don't have the structure of what to do and how to do it. And there's been many, 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 many families served that would be able to already speak to the benefit of having midwives in their lives. Even if that's not the case, for anyone out there to have access to having the professionals that people have their confidence in and who they get their care from have the opportunity to care for them in this way is it's like a human right issue correct absolutely yeah I mean, we had some stories and maybe you touch on this with Kristen but just from people who had you know their licensed midwife that they knew and took care of them for nine months and then they would get mastitis in the postpartum and these people would either have to take their newborns into COVID pandemic urgent cares to try to get antibiotics with someone they've never met who doesn't know their history, who maybe doesn't know anything about lactation. Um, that was the option because we can't prescribe those medications. And yeah, of course, we'll need an additional training and that'll all be created to make sure that licensed midwives are um, competent and confident when uh, prescribing such things. But it's definitely within the realm of something we should be able to do. So it's really important for families that we get this pass through so that families have better access to the health care they need. I like it. Yeah, it's good that we're airing this program at this point in time because it's still very vital. And that's that's another focal point is to help people be mindful of the issues that do impact birthing families. That's another focal point or goal of why be on the air. It's to have these conversations. It's to have that opportunity. Yeah, and I've definitely uh, been in a supportive role for all of this. Jen Segadelli and Kristen Eflin um, are the ones doing the work for sure. Um, and meanwhile, I kind of as the vice president keep all the other stuff running. You know, make sure mm -hmm. our website is updated yeah. and having all the people be where they're supposed to be. And we also hired a new executive director. Um, so that's the another big place that Moz is changing right now. That's excellent. And how, how big is the organization of Moz? Um, we have about 175 professional members. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have student members and we have friends of Moz, so maybe another 100 there. And then mm -hmm. um, so we also have a birth center category. That's awesome. That's a, 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 I've, I've been a part of Moz. I've served on the board as well. Oh, <laughs> Actually, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, oh. yeah. Well, it was, it was prior to your time with knowing me, I think. But yes, yes, I have had that opportunity. And I found that their board was um, very representational because they definitely had the community members. They had student members. They had everybody 
was the coherent group of the decision making. And that was really a beautiful process. It really is. Yeah, that's great. Well, I commend you in that work because doing, taking on the responsibility of serving as an officer in a professional club, it is another aspect of leadership that you definitely above and beyond what you do. And that's not done for money. <laughs> You're not getting exactly. paid. Yes, we are a volunteer board. <laughs> that's right. It's a volunteer board doing the work to further the cause and support those that are providers and support those that are consumers as well. So it's yeah. important. It's important. It's all important stuff. Yeah, it is. That's the thing, right? It's all so important. So just do it all. <laughs> but it's got to be some balance somewhere. So right inspiring the ed someone we're going to pay to do some of these things so the rest of us can be involved but not feel like we have to do so much that we're kind of burning out from the activism right right <laughs> well and it's and it's great to have the the ability to do that too that's really that's really wonderful yes Okay. Well, when you were asked to do an interview today, what kinds of thoughts came to your mind? Um, well, I, because I've seen um, this show advertised, um, and I, I just thought, oh, me? And then I thought, am I worthy of being on an interview? Do I have things to say on an interview? Um, and then I thought about my career path so far, and I'm like, well, yeah, I think so. I think I do, actually. I have things I could talk about for sure. Um, and then I also was thinking about you and that you were doing this program and that we were going to get to chat and catch up. And it's a very like a full circle moment too, to, you know, to be with the person that took me to my very first birth when we were like um, Fantasia taking the water buckets in and out of this person's house. And it was like out incarnation. There was, we saw a deer, like it was just so magical and so like quintessential home birth for me. Um, and that year really just solidified that this is definitely what I want to do. So oh, all of those things. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you. No, I delight in that. Uh, one of the things I would like to say is that you don't have to doubt your value. You don't have to prove anything by your actions. You always have been a light. You always have been bringing to families uh, a wonderful presence of acceptance and surrounding them with, with a love and with, you know, just that eagerness to, to serve. And that light has been bright. It's the art of midwifery. It's the part Heike couldn't teach you that she so appreciated and loved. And that's what she saw that she wanted to have with her in her practice. Just to yeah, tell you, thank you. you're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. One of the important things for all of us is to make sure that we're seeing that in, in all of the people we get to serve. We're seeing their brilliance and working to bring it out. And now it's kind of funny since I'm not working with women in labor to bring forth a baby. I refer to myself as the midwife of joy. So I really am working to have people have that appreciation and vibrancy in their life. And part of that is just simply recognizing 
that we are all part of the whole and we all have great power. Tell me a little bit how you have navigated both in the birth world and for yourself this whole pandemic. Tell me how that has changed or not changed and what's what's been apparent to you through this. Okay, so yes, I can definitely answer this, um, but it's kind of, oh, oof. okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit and say that the summer before the pandemic, I learned about the Enneagram. Have you heard of it? No, well, speak yeah. to it, please. Okay, yes. So it's a, a nine-part, nine-type personality assessment, um, but it goes way much deeper than personality assessments do. Um, it talks about your core fear and motivation as a person, and then how you react in stress and how you react when times are good. So I think it really gets at who you are as a person instead of just with the other ones that are kind of more action-based. Anyway, I learned that I'm a three, mm -hmm. which is the achiever or the performer. So I'm always wanting to go, go, go and do, do, do. And I'm pretty good at the things I do. Um, but I think in my bones, I think that my value is based on what I produce, not on who I am. <laughs> so that. Oops. That is the struggle for threes is, oh, there we are. Yeah. So um, that's the struggle for threes is to realize that you you are loved for you and not for the things you produce. So I learned that. And then the pandemic happens and everything shuts down and everything, I mean, everything for one, I'm a practicing midwife at the time. So everything's terrifying. Like all, like, what do we do? And do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? How do we screen people? Like are we going to get COVID? What happens if my practice partner gets COVID, right? Like this all is happening, of course. Um, but that all felt manageable as a clinician and as I'm not a fear-based person. So I was able to step in the role and just day by day, roll with the changes and do what needed to be done. But personally, when it was like no more social stuff, like you're going to be home and you're going to slow down and the gym is closed and everything you know about your life that you enjoy doing is now closed. So what are you going to do to be okay in this slow, still time? Um, so it was, I'm certainly not glad that COVID happened or that it's still happening, but that point making me slow down and really evaluate my inside and my uh, mental state and who, where, just all the stuff going on inside of me that I was ignoring by doing more mm -hmm. um, was really good. So I was able to actually start doing IV ketamine, ketamine treatments, which are really amazing for depression and um, some, and it kind of changes the way that you think about yourself. So if you have some negative self-talk, it will, it will just switch that up for you and it rewires your brain and creates new neurons and new neural pathways. So I did that, which is super helpful. I started seeing a counselor and I started reading and doing puzzles and just enjoying sitting with my wife and just being. So I really learned to be in the pandemic. Yeah, it's. I think that none of us want to say, oh, thank God for the pandemic. But we all have the ability to see that there are gifts, that there. this was not just a, to steal away everything that we knew. There were there were things there was opportunities. There were there are every day an opportunity to say, do I view this as something that I'm going to complain about and continue the, the negativity or am I going to take a breath? And it was 
wonderful, I think, at taking away the, at stripping us of the illusion that we actually have control of things. Isn't that, you know, that we actually do have this control. We can say, we can plan, and we can do those things. But as far as being able to acknowledge that it is not a matter of control, intention is a beautiful thing, but being present with what is, is also beautiful. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's really great. That's really great. Yes. I do have one more piece to that. Please. Um, Is that by doing those, uh, getting my brain healthy and getting my um, mind just in a different place, basically, than it had ever been, I was able to really stay, because as a three, you can switch you can switch every time you're with people, you cover kind of a different person, like whoever they want you to be. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to really realize that in myself and try to stop doing that and figure out who I am and who, who I, what I believe mm-hmm. and what is right to me and have more of a, a just a solid being to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also something that just happens for people in when they're in their late twenties, early thirties. So it was kind of serendipitous with the pandemic that it all kind of happened together. But I also was able to then in my professional life, there were some things that came up um, last year that just were not within my integrity. And I was able to do really hard and uncomfortable things to stay in my integrity um, and that have led me to this path now and to uh, people I've met. And now going through all that really big discomfort, I'm so comfortable now because I did that, whereas I could be still in that rut. So it was another pandemic gift. <laughs> That is that is a wonderful thing to note just what you have shared is so true. We are always in our developmental phase and every every phase of our life we're in another developmental phase. Now we tend to think of it more with the the littles, right? The baby and their development. We are all in developmental phases. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And there's there's ways for us and there's needs for us and there's Things built into that being true to yourself, though, goes through all of them. And that being accepting of each other goes all through them. And that is that is the beauty of it is to really to appreciate and allow people their space. You have to occupy your own. Don't you find that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's brought up, I mean, it's just offered so many opportunities for me um, to just really know where I sit and stand and want and where, where I be basically. Yeah. Where you be, your being, your beingness. This is something that all of us human beings are in need of hearing more about. And I really thank, thank you for sharing about that. Because it really is important. Now let's let's just switch to giving you a time to uh, just create a vision for us. Of you've already you you've you've completed all this. Edu- We're fast forwarding very fast here. You know, it's all done. It was so simple. No, it was complex. But you met every time of it, and you did it, and you navigated it, and here you are on the other side. And here you are to create 
the vision that you that you have that longs to come do you feel like that's that you have a bit of the information on that or do you feel like you have a fairly bold picture of what it is that you're progressing to I think I have a pretty bold picture. I'm definitely a top-down person, so I always have long-term, you know, one, three, five, ten-year plans, probably 25-year plans, so much so that my wife and I are, like, looking at the house we're going to buy when I graduate and get a get a job. So, <laughs> yes, I'm very much in the planning or in the I have a goal. Um, and I'm totally open to the goal chain, like, moving or morphing because um, I know there's a lot of things I don't know right now. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, let's say... So I'll graduate in March of 2026. So let's say in five years, well, we have been practicing a year. I would really like to get a job in a hospital nearby. I don't want to leave this area. Um, Swedish or Providence Everett, I think, are my top picks. Um, and I would do clinic a couple days a week, and I would be on call 24 hours. And I just imagine myself within the midwifery groups knowing how I operate, moving up to a, a, an in-charge position relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a good leader and teacher, and I would enjoy that, I think. Um, and then I would also like to teach, hopefully, at UW, um, mm-hmm. and maybe also at Best Year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would start right off the bat, but there is definitely some um, research that I'm interested in pursuing um, in the first five years or so of my newly you know of post-graduation life i love that you it sounds like you've already identified some research topics that you're drawn to do you want to share one of those with us sure um so i wrote my master's thesis on the laryngeal mask airway and mm-hmm. um people's uh not people licensed midwives in washington were able to use it but i didn't qualitative research study to see if they were using it and if not why and it found that midwives weren't using it mostly because they didn't know what it is and they weren't trained on it so I spent um, the next couple of years with Moz training midwives to use it and now every midwife that I know um, carries one and I know plenty many midwives that have used one and what I'd like to do is a follow-up study about that um, and that's just more of a pet project because I already did part of it and I want to do a follow-up But what I'm also really interested in is postpartum, um, is pregnancy and autoimmune disorders and how pregnancy may cause or may be the lever that switches on autoimmune disorders for people. So I just have some friends that have been very impacted by those that subject and I want more information about it. Mm. It is amazing how the questions rise out of our lives, our life experience. And that is, oh, I'm really, really glad to know that you're going to have your feet on the ground and your, and your investigations and what it will bring forth for all of us. I love that. I love that. Hmm. And also I'll have a dog because we'll probably buy a house with a yard and a fence and we'll have reasonable schedules where we could have like a really awesome dog that is our buddy that we train to do cool stuff like agility. So oh. that's the other piece. <laughs> okay. Does it need to be, do you already know the breed you want or? I do think I really want a mini golden doodle. Oh my goodness. You, you, they, I, the, the doodles or the golden doodles, they're just, they're such social dogs. They really are social dogs. 
yeah. 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 That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I like your vision and it's you're you're working to make that happen and that is delightful and in the meantime you are investing more into being where you see yourself wanting to be and I really am impressed with you and all that you do and all the ways you contribute to your community and to your practice into your professional growth yes that is that is a commitment to lifelong learning is a commitment that is bound to yield so much in so many different lives i really applaud you in that thank you so much and i i do love school so i'm I'm actually looking forward to it, and I know it's such a privilege to be able to go back to school and be supported while I'm doing that. So I look forward to it, to the process. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can honestly say that I love to learn. I do. But to go back to school has little appeal for me at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose... That's what continuing ed is for. Yeah, no, and I do love continuing ed. And I also, I'm also all about getting more and more innovation in um, information and growing in knowing more about our energy and our vibrancy. And I just, that is what draws me like a magnet, so to speak. So there's a lot of things that are very interesting to me. If you were to give Let's say that, and hopefully, as you've shared your appearance here, there may be people that you know and love that are going to come here. What would you want them to hear as just your own piece of your heart or your advice or your, you know, what, what would you like to say to them? Oh, <laughs> um. Well, probably to a lot of them, I'd want to say thank you, um, because a lot of the people I know will be here have been such huge supports um, throughout my journey, and not only my educational journey, but my journey as a person. And like all of that transformation I was talking about was painful, and people lived with me and believed in me and loved me when I didn't even love myself. So thank you to all of those people. Um, and then I feel like the biggest thing right now for me is that that i'm really living in and standing in is integrity and just knowing that if you just follow your integrity and you act in integrity and you stay in integrity and alignment with who you are and what your beliefs are that you will continue to move forward um and you just stay on that path so um mm. it took me 31 or 32 years to learn that but i've learned it and it's feeling like a really good place to be <laughs> Well, that is beautiful. That is a beautiful counsel to bring to everyone and, and the reminder. And staying in integrity, so let's 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 dive into that just a little. Can you give us an example of how quickly or easily someone can get out of integrity? Um, I can I think for um people it probably looks differently, but for a three, the quickest way to get out of integrity integrity is to do something because someone else wants you to do it. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Actually, to say something or believe something or be something or look like something because someone else says that you should. Mm. Uh, 
that has been on the flip side or from from um, uh, hospice nurses one of the main regrets that people will have is that they did that they did that they did that because it was for someone else and it wasn't genuinely what they wanted to do or anything else so that's a, a quick way and it could just be as simple as one how you conduct your day you know actually taking a survey of how you conduct your day you know and have you done things just for that reason or have you done things now that also kind of comes to the uh the topic of establishing boundaries doesn't it yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now when we say establish boundaries i don't know that we're talking so much about boundaries for others as we talk about boundaries for ourselves right it's that ability to say no and for some of us it's so hard to say no because hmm, what's been your experience yeah. with that <laughs> yeah i mean we're conditioned as uh women i think and probably people who aren't women or who don't identify as women as well we're conditioned yes. to not say no right to say um yes and to be available and to make ourselves bend in whatever pretzel position we have to do in order to please people um and that is not healthy for any of us mm -mm. oh and um i've been really into brene brown lately and oh, she yes. talks about boundaries and how boundaries are a gift and boundaries are actual kindness because a boundary is my boundary is where i can meet you but i can still love me so i will meet you here and i will still be in my integrity and love myself and that's my boundary and that is okay and then saying no actually just means I've considered what you've said and what you've asked and I can't do it. So I'm saying no, which is actually better than saying yes when you can't really do it or when you it's going to tax you. Or you just simply don't do it, yes, exactly. <laughs> which again is taking you out of integrity. I heard a wonderful story today. It's about um, Ben Franklin and Ben Franklin. It, he invented the lightning rod because he had the notion, just like you've seen the kite with the key, the keys actually toward the top of the kite, that it did conduct the lightning and that that spared so many people, but he never patented it. And then he was asked one time, well, why didn't you patent it? And he said, you know, if I have light in a candle and you have, you come with your candle, I can give you light. It doesn't create darkness for me. But the light is, you know, there for everyone. And I appreciate that so much that what we have is for us all. And d keeping that integrity for ourselves is the way that we can show up with our fullness. That's a great lesson. And you're a young woman to have learned it. I'm still learning these things. And Brene Brown has so many, so much wisdom to share for us along the way. And I, for one, want to say I'm really thankful that you said yes to this interview. <laughs> Me too. This has been great. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to reconnect. It, oh, it's just a delight to see you. And I'm so, I when a person says proud of you, it, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to take any credit. It just means I'm in awe of you. And I'm thanking you for responding to being all that you're intended to be. And I appreciate that and I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, thanks for having me and inviting me here. This was wonderful. Well, this has been a 
wonderful midwife after hours with our special guest, Jessica Swan. You can reach her and connect with her on her email, J-E-S-S-I-C-A dot S-W-A-N dot M-I-D-W-I-F-E at gmail.com. That's Jessica dot Swan dot midwife at gmail.com. Such a treat to have her and watch new midwives and experience and grow and grow to go out and change the world. Thank you for joining us tonight. Midwife After Hours is produced by the love of my life, my husband, Terry Spring. The music that greets you and will take you out tonight is provided, created and provided by Tracy Spring, my beloved sister-in-law. Someday I'm going to have her on here to talk about balancing life and art with motherhood and just creating and finding how that all flows together. I will see you or meet you in the air next week. And until then, I hope you have a beautiful week and you consider contacting your legislators and you consider telling your friends about this program. Blessings to all of you. Mm -hmm.